Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, I'm Scott Sasha. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Sportacast. All right. Good one, Eben. You are in your car, in the Subaru. No, they do not sponsor us. We just say it because you're actually sitting in your car. And we are joined by my longtime friend, Scott O'Neill, CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. The big boys, the uh, parent company of the Sixers and the Devils of the National Hockey League. Scotty, thank you so much, my friend. Love being here. Love the work. Love the explosion of Sportico. It keeps us up to date, informed and on our toes for sure. Also not sponsored content. Thank you very much. So, you know what? Maybe we'll mention his book. He was just nice to us. Should, should we mention the book? Like, do you, do you even Let's care if it. we mention <laughs> Look, move to, move to your right. There you go. Be where your feet are. Now, you and I have talked so many times about David Stern. And some of the guiding principles of David's leadership were fear and intimidation. And he made no apologies or secrets. You don't strike me as somebody who wants to rule by fear and intimidation, what would your ethos be for leadership? My ethos would be for leadership. If I were advising leaders, I would say, find your authentic self. If you are a fear and intimidation guy, don't try to be a rah-rah guy. If you're a rah-rah guy, don't try to be a huggy-lovey guy. If you're an accountability guy, don't try to be somebody else. You find out who you are, and then you surround yourself with people who can complement your skills and provide other kind of uh, a platform to create a culture that is one that you want to that you want and admire and think that drives your best performance. In some change situations, um, I can be very difficult and tough. Um, in others, when things are more stable as they are now. We definitely have a different environment, uh, but I, I, you know, I just I don't I don't want like the the kind of kumbaya. Uh, let's sit around the campfire and and sing songs and, and roast marshmallows to to take away from what a high performance culture is. Because I I I do you know I, I I I've been through two pretty intense change situations. Um, my current company now there there are twelve employees currently here who were here when I arrived, and that's not a lot. You know, we have over 2,000 employees, 500 full-time or so. And so so soft is not – culture isn't soft. Culture is hard. Um, but, but no, I, I don't believe you get the best out of people through fear and intimidation. My notion of people is that we all have hopes. We all have dreams. Uh, we want to be treated like people and human beings. And, and the way I can help you fulfill your dreams is get to know you as a person, get to know – 
who you are, get to know your family, get to know what you want to accomplish in your life, understand what's blocking you from getting you there, and hopefully provide the resources and, and unlock some of that potential. But, but I will say that not everybody goes and wants to play for Bobby Knight, but some people do and can and excel in that system. And so as a manager and leader, you need, definitely need to be a little more adaptable than the one style and one size fits all. I don't think that works nowadays. My favorite David Stern story was Heidi Uberoff, a uh, former head of international, was scuba diving on vacation. And she popped her head up through the water and the captain of the boat was there and saying, hey, we have a ship to shore call. It's David Stern for you. And her line to me was, I literally knew at that moment there was nowhere I could hide from that man. Like he was going to track <laughs> me down. Great, great anecdote. But by the way, Scott, can I freak you out a little bit? Yeah. Because you know, I've got sources everywhere, right? Sure, shoot. Uh, all right. So somebody tells me, because we're recording this um, on Tuesday afternoon, somebody tells me this morning you were involved in a basketball game where you may have gotten a little scratch, a little blood, but you called a ticky-tack foul. The, 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 okay, there's the scratch. I don't know Some, if you can see that, but I, I, I mean, it's, it's like I can't a really one to me. Yeah, but somebody said, you know, right away, Scott, he was like, foul, foul. Like, I, I don't know if that's the kind of player you want to be. You know, they say no blood, no foul. I say blood, foul. <laughs> you know, I'm a simple guy. Well, the person who told me that, that's why I gave the exact same retort. I'm like, you know, the no blood, no foul, but you drew blood. So, like, it's okay. But, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I will say that that game, my brother, Michael, uh, who runs a healthcare tech company in, in D.C., um, so after a, after a bad loss last night to the Wiz, um, I definitely was trying to get out some of that aggression. I, I do have a competitive problem. I hate to lose. And so we were going full steam. And so it was a three on three in his court in his house. And I can tell you that there were some real players there and it did not lack for intensity. And yes, they drew blood, but I won a lot of games. I think I was 10 to whatever it's worth. Oh, so you got some rest in between. Something I learned about you this morning, uh, you don't really operate on a laptop. You go uh, mobile phone only for most of your business. Are you unique in that scenario? That seems so foreign to me. Um, but I'm curious if that is something that you encounter a lot in, in the circles you run in, or are you, uh, are you the outlier there? I don't know. I, I, um, you know. I'm such a, I'm a bit of a creature of habit. I like things the way I like them. I think that's uh, not too unique. Um, but for me, I have, I typically travel with two iPads and a phone and have them set up one for zoom, one to type notes during it. And then a phone to take calls if, uh, if the zoom gets a little slow, but I, um, yeah, so I, am definitely not, not Mr. Lap guy. I'm definitely not going to be the next uh, CTO of your company. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, Scotty, let me know if I did well, or if I did poorly on this one and I'm guilty of this and I read excerpts from your book and I totally get it, and I want to live it. And it's just so hard, as you know, uh, where I'm about a year into Sportico, you know, so it commands a lot of your attention. But yesterday, I'm in the park with my, my son and, and my wife, and we're playing baseball. And of course, my phone, bing, and I'm catching, and he's waiting to pitch. I said, wait, wait, I'll put the finger, wait, 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 I just have to check this. And that happened quite a few times. So I was there playing, but I, I wasn't where my feet were. So how'd I do? Well, you know, I, I will say that that life is a work in progress and you have to figure out, as I say in the book, what your WMI is. So what's your most important and, and everybody and that, and that can evolve over time. Um, I ha happen to know Kim and Jackson, uh, your wife and, and son, and they're wonderful. And you have an incredible relationship and you spend a lot of time with Jackson, carting him back and forth to hockey. And, and I hope you spend that time wisely. But 
But here's my, I guess, challenge for you is you have to figure out some points that are pure and just the two of you. And if that happens to be when you're driving to hockey practice at 5 a.m., great. If it happens to be when you're carting him to Pittsburgh for a big tournament, fantastic. How much of that four-hour drive are you actually having quality time? That's the thing. You know, and, and, and that's the thing for all of us. I wake up in the morning. I've got three teenage daughters. It is chaos in our house, okay? I'm not getting quality time. It's NCAA tournament, survive in advance. Let's just get them out of the house, okay? Then I'm at work there at school. They've got basketball, cheerleading, boyfriends, which I don't want to talk about. They've got <laughs> the world. You know, they've got homework. They're smart kids. They work hard. And then I'm at games. So how much time do I have? And I, I just, I guess I would challenge you to say, it's like, where is your meaningful time? Like, when are you willing to commit? And are you willing to commit? Are you willing to commit an hour a day to really connect your phone off? Is the world going to shut down in an hour? I say to my staff, I'll give you, I'll give you another anecdote. So um, I, I, I take vacation. I, I fully believe that vacation is a source of life. It's like the fountain of youth. It actually increases your ability to be creative, increases your ability to um, solve creative problems, complex creative problems, and refreshes you, makes you intellectually curious because you have opportunity to read and shut down. Now, when I first got to the Sixers, nobody took vacation. It was a source of pride. Yeah, so who, I was going to say, who's doing the poor job in corporate America and in sports? Is it the team that doesn't really convey the notion that, no, 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 we want you to take vacation. It's, it's good it's for you. It's or you. is it me that demands it? It's me because I run the organization. And so people are looking at me and saying, like, I want to be like him. Remember when you were 22 years old, your boss would walk down the hallway and you're like, oh, he's wearing a suit with a tie. I need to wear a suit with a tie. Oh, he says hello in the morning. It's a good day for me. We are, we are looking at our leaders and our managers and we're emulating them because we haven't fully formed who we are yet. And so as, a, as leaders and managers of your group, they are looking at you. Are you taking vacation? Yes or no? If the answer is no, they're not taking vacation. You know, the best line I love, you know, Scotty, I spent a whole career working for Mike Bloomberg, right? Yep. Two things, I mean, that really stick out with Mike. If he's walking in the hall of the Bloomberg building, there's a piece of paper on the ground. Mike detours to pick it up, right? You know, a lot of people just walk right past it. Mike picks it up. Pick it up. Um, I do too. Yeah, picks it up. Yeah. And I love this line. I don't remember. I think it might have been the New York Times, but they did a profile of Mike. And the closing line from Mike was, I have nothing in common with people who stand on escalators. And that really resonated with me because it, it's 20 seconds to take the ride, but Mike's got somewhere to be and something to do. He, I'm the person in the left lane, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, walking up or down that escalator. And that resonated with me. Yeah, I love that. The, 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 the effectiveness, though, is, is how do you want to be remembered and what do you want to accomplish and what's most important? I mean, there are a hundred ways to do it. I, one thing I would agree with Mike on and you on is I have never met a successful person who doesn't work unreasonably hard. I just, I haven't. I hope I do, you know, outside of inheritance. And by the way, I, my, my dad died broke, unfortunately. So I, I don't have that. That's not a gift I'm going to be given. You want okay? a good story from the Sashnik wedding? And a yes. whole, you know, a whole bunch of people you know were there. Um, and uh, toward the end of their lives, my, my parents are both deceased. I was sort of giving my dad money every month to help them get by. And my mother floats over at the wedding and we call Kim over and she and my father hand me a check for $10,000. And my mother gets the big grin and she floats. I mean, she's not even on cloud nine. She went through nine. She's on cloud 11 and floats away. She's, she then moves out of earshot. My father turns to me and says, rip that up. <laughs> <laughs> to, which I I respond, that. to which I responded, no kidding. <laughs> I love that. No, that's, that's wonderful. I, 
So, so working on reasonably hard is kind of the point of entry, right? That gets you, that gets you at the table to, to have a career. It doesn't guarantee a career, but it gets you at the table. So I'm, I'm not saying not to work hard. Um, I, I work quite a bit. Um, and I love it. It's a passion of mine. I know you work quite a bit. The question is, is what are you, what time are you willing to commit to be fully present and grounded? And what impact do you think that will have not only on Jackson, but also on you? And that's what you have to answer for yourself. Nobody can answer that. And I will just assert that for me, I was going through my day of chaos. When I get home, how much time do I actually have that's meaningful with my daughters? And there's some exercises in there. Like I had this one exercise at this uh, camp, it's a YPO camp in Ohio. And they, they brought all the dads together and they separated the daughters. My daughter was 11 or so at the time. And they said, okay, you're going to be with your daughter. Uh, this is the last time you're ever going to speak to her. What are you going to say? And what, what crushed me about that was, one, one I was fumbling, but two, I hadn't had that conversation. Like, why hadn't I had that conversation? Like, why hadn't I told her? And my, my three things were family, family, family. Um, every, everything's going to be okay. And anything, anytime, call me. So now those are three simple things that I delivered in a, in a pinch. And I was stressed about it, you know. But I think about it, like, how many meaningful conversations have you had with the people that you think are most important? When's the last time either of you, Scott, you just mentioned your, your, your mom's passed away, sadly. But when's the last time either of you text your mom or your sister or your mentor or your friend just to check in and say hello and that I love you and I appreciate you and thank you? You know, when's the last time you, you, you texted Mike Bloomberg and just said, hey, I just want to tell you, you made my career. Like, and it's not just about Mike Bloomberg or your mother. It's about like, how can we connect better? And how long does that take you? What if you committed 60 seconds a day to connect with one person through text that just popped in your head or you had a prompting? 60 seconds? Here's the thing. I send a note. I do this when I, when I talk to big groups. And I always say to them, hey, if your mom texts you back, hon, is everything okay? You got a problem. Yeah. That's a mother, right? But like, what about your, what about when you're on a Zoom and you know that, that your, your friend, she hasn't had her uh, video on in two weeks, you know, something's up, right? Or how about when their voicemail box is full? Something's up. Or how about when they haven't texted you back in two weeks? Something's up. What are we doing about it? Like, how are we accountable to helping? Like, how can we be more aware and connect? And I think that, that very connection in the face of coming out of, of COVID, where we've been completely isolated, we're walking into grocery stores masked up, kind of looking over our shoulders, looking to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. Like, we need each other. Like we have to be more aware and we have to be more connected. I mean, I'll let I'll let Evan bring it up to you. I cheat. I do in conversations with people. I I write down family members' names. I I write down how to you know has a soccer game in two weeks, has a championship, has this, how they do on the test. I cheat and write it down because I I know I won't remember, but I I can reference back and then at least follow up. But I learned that from you, Scott. it's good. There's a reason why he's good at what he does. Birthdays and things like that. I do the same thing for sure. So you're talking about, Scott, a lot of the things in your life that you can control professionally. That includes people who work with you, underneath you, the, the teams that you oversee. One area that's kind of a gray area is the fans. I imagine it's a little bit harder to control them, and it's topical right now. Uh, in the past week or so in the NBA, we've seen kind of an ugly series of incidents from fans' behavior in, in various arenas. Unfortunately, the 76ers were not, have not been immune from that in the past week. I'm curious, Scott and I talked about this on the podcast last week. Do you think this is related to fans coming back to the stadium after a, a year not being able to? Is this just a matter of 
the players themselves being more outspoken about what they find to be acceptable and not acceptable during games. What, what do you attribute this kind of past week to? Good question. And, and, and hopefully this is a passing fancy and we won't have to deal with this again. The, the players have a right to have a safe experience um, and, and the dignity that they have earned to play basketball um, in, in arenas, home and away. And I think there is a bit of a different energy right now uh, with the fans. I think some of that, you know, has been channeled in the right ways. And that is the crowd is louder than I've heard it. When we were at 25%, it felt like 18,000 were in there. When there were 50%, it felt like there were 30,000 in there. And I'm not kidding. And when we open up tomorrow at 100%, I think they're going to blow the roof off that place. So, So in terms of home court advantage, it's wonderful in terms of of um, getting the getting the players hyped, amped up. Fantastic in terms of like turning our game entertainment people loose to really like set the stage. Wonderful, um, and I and I don't want the actions of you know five people to define the NBA fan. I don't think that's fair. I really don't. Uh, you know we're fortunate enough to, in today. It's when we had our incident in Philadelphia when the security looked up and they were there very quickly. Everybody pointed to the guy. It was almost like a bad movie, you know, and I'm like, good, because they're these fans aren't going to tolerate it either. Uh, but I, I think we need to do better and be better and get better. Um, you know, security uh, was was pretty beefed up and we had a full, full group of security for 50 percent fans and they, they closed really quickly. But, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that, you know, that behavior can be ever tolerated on any level or every front. And, you know, growing up. I'd always heard stories in South South America when they used to play the Davis Cup down there, like throwing quarters at players. And there was some, some wild stuff. I know in, in basketball, some friends of mine played in, in Europe and there were some batteries chucked at them. And, you know, and, and I, I always like I always almost couldn't believe the behavior and, and, and to see a, a water bottle thrown or someone spitting. And, uh, and obviously the, the popcorn is in Philadelphia. It's just to me, it's completely unacceptable. And uh, I'm, I'm glad like the that everyone is consistent. Like people are teams, leaders, uh, those of us responsible for doing what we do and how we do it are saying, no, you're out and we don't want you back. And I, I think the extent we can do that, uh, we'll see very few problems going forward. So, so how do you kind of help harness all the good things you're talking about, about crowds right now, while kind of helping avoid the bad? Is it reaching out to season ticket holders and signs around the stadium? Kind of how do you communicate to fans yeah, no, we do. We that, like this is stuff. unacceptable moving forward? Yeah, no, we do all the stuff. Um, you know, um, so we sense, you know, we have the signs up. We play the video before the game. We send text alerts. All that all that stuff is wonderful, you know. Um, but but fan is, you know, derived from the word fanatic. And, and this is maybe has taken on these games – has taken on a bigger importance. Um, what, what I love about sports and music and entertainment, and what I've kind of learned is that the, the mission for what we do, like the, the value, the, the reason we do what we do is that we get to create community and we can bring people together. And so there'd be a perfect stranger and you high five and hug them. And you scream and dance and shout with perfect strangers. Uh, and you, you chant during the games, all, the, all that stuff that, that just brings us together and creates one. Um, is so powerful and, and so needed. And, um, and, and that drives adrenaline, you know, and there's so much pent up intensity. I think that the, the 0.1% uh, 
takes it over the line. And that's what we've seen. But I just, I just don't want that to define who we are. Like I don't, cause it's not true. It's like we had 11,000 people in the venue and, and one bad actor shouldn't define an entire city. Oh, fans have been acting like morons forever. They've just been beating each other up in the parking lot and in the corridors. I mean, it's, it, it, it's getting attention now. And of course it has to stop and shouldn't be tolerated. Kick them out. Don't let them in, of course. But this is the business of sports, Scotty O. Uh, tell me about your deal making. Where, where are we? How do franchises rebound? You got to earn some dollars and cents. I mean, sports and entertainment was hit almost harder than any other sector uh, due to COVID. Where are we and what's your outlook? Yeah, I, I don't know if we're um, a good measuring stick. We kept our team in place. Um, you know, I, we kept talking about as a leadership team is can we keep the machine? That's what we kept saying. Can we keep the machine intact? And, and by machine, we meant the sales and marketing machine. Uh, I, I think that we have built an elite sales and marketing team, and I did not want to lose them. I and I, I kept my and, and look, we were under a tremendous amount of financial pressures, as everybody was. If I may, Scott, if I just cut in, where are they going to go? You know, um, amazingly, uh, but you know, it's not about us um, them leaving. Although we've had some attrition, um, it's really uh, about do you. Do you knock out 20% of your staff or 40% of your staff? I know a, a friend of mine was, was, was down to 30, 30, 30 employees, you know, in an entire organization. So, so I, you know, and, and my fear is, is, I mean, it, again, I don't mean to get too down in the weeds, but, you know, a first year rep, a second year rep, a third year rep, a fourth year rep, and a fifth year rep all sell at different levels. Um, and it's, it's about three and a half times from, from first year to a fifth year. That's just on the ticket side. On the sponsorship side, it, it's even more pronounced. And so, I didn't want to have to start from scratch and and start over. I, I thought that would set us back three to four years, and so we kept our team intact and in place. And um, and the sales reps suffered. You know, I, I, if I if I had to have one thing back, I would have like taken up a bonus plan or made up some sort of way to to get them a little hole because we did lose a lot of a lot of good good sales reps. Um, but we'll we'll exceed nineteen twenty pretty considerably. Um, in 21, 22. So, so we're in really, really fine shape in terms of, of revenue and performance. What about on the high end though? You're talking about first through fifth year sales reps. I get it. What about at the CEO level? What about you peer to peer CEO levels, big dollar deals like you used to do at Madison square garden. I mean, you, you did that chase deal at MSG. That's a very big sponsorship. Uh, what about, what are you hearing from companies now when you're asking yeah. them for big spend? So we're, so we're out there. I mean, we are, it's too soon to say, but, um, but we have done three deals, um, in different parts of our business that we're really proud of that are significant. Uh, so at least from what we're experiencing, and, and again, I, I don't mean to represent, like I, I've been on the other side of this fence and I, I've been a low demand team in a low demand market. Um, but right now we are, we are cooking, man. The, the 76ers, I mean, it's the number one team in the East. Uh, we've got two global superstars and all the stuff we talked about eight years ago has come true. You know, the value of the organization's up six times in eight years. And so this is a high, high demand property. And so whether we're talking to, to a company in, in Hong Kong or London um, or Bakersfield, California or Chicago, or in our backyard in South Philly, there seems to be an, an insatiable appetite for demand for our property. One of the things that some of your peers are looking at as, as we talk about kind of the, the financial struggles of the past year, uh, the NBA has been pretty active in opening up the opportunity for private equity to get involved. I think the Golden State Warriors were the first to do this, an investment from Arctos Partners. Do you think that, you know, we're going to see 
private equity invest in, in half the league, a third of the league, more or less? And how do you think that maybe changes the business practices once, you know, investment firms that have maybe a different investment thesis and time horizon start taking kind of big chunks of NBA teams? Uh, they don't seem to be taking big chunks. Um, they seem to be taking uh, under 10% and their, their rights are very limited. Um, and it's someone acts as permanent capital. So for, for, for teams, for CEOs or for managing partners of, of organizations, it's a, it's a great way for growth capital. I mean, I, it, it's a, it is a very efficient way to, to grow a business. And I, I think the best thing it does is support the valuation growth. I mean, you've, you've, you've seen, you know, I think when I got into the league in 1992, I believe the Jazz were sold somewhere around that for $13 million. $13 million. Okay. And so now when you think, I think the Jazz just sold for what, 1.65? That's, that's pretty, pretty good growth. Um, you know, we're, we're valued considerably over, um, you know, what, so two, three, two, four, depending on, on, uh, on where you look. I always look at Sportico. It's, the only place I would go. You beat me to the line for my valuations, but um, so so th- these are organizations that you know only. I mean, when I started eight years ago, I think the valuation was somewhere between three hundred fifty and four hundred million. So you're talking five, six times growth. Um, so how are you going to support continued growth? Well, you you've got to do it in different ways. Um, wh- one way is is to to obviously take in some outside capital. So that's that that does it because it sets the values. The other is to use that and leverage that capital to go build. Do you want to build a new arena? Do you want to um, start a real estate company? Do you want to acquire theaters? Do you want to build the next D2C platform to take advantage of what's the melting ice cube, formerly known as the RSN? Like, how are you going to actually build value um, in your organization and, and consider it a platform? And it's a platform for growth in a market. So that that's how I see the see the world and the landscape. And so I, I, I love the the investment. From outside, Pete. yeah, these are these are platform businesses. I mean, that's what we've got these days. So, my question to you is, where is the pressure? Because we have not seen an upside down sale, but where does the pressure come from? And I'll look at one sector specifically, only because it's the largest provider of revenue, and that's the media. You know, we're already hearing about the next NBA TV deal, three X, whatever it might be, and certainly the NFL did well. Where do you see the pressure coming from? Because I don't see it coming from the media, frankly. You can talk about diminution of eyeballs, whatever. The value of those eyeballs is going up. I don't care if it's on linear TV, moving to streaming. I don't see those numbers going down. What do you see? I couldn't agree more. Um, so I'm not sure where the pressure is or how, you, how you're asking about pressure. I just see opportunity. Um, I, I think internationally, the opportunity internationally, we've barely scratched the surface in the two leagues that I operate in, in, in the National Hockey League and the NBA. Um, love what the NBA has done with, with China, um, creating you know four, arguably $5 billion worth of value very quickly. Um, love what the NBA is doing with the African Basketball League. I think there's tremendous opportunity there, which uh, seems very straightforward and obvious. But man, what, what, a, what a haul to get it up and going. It seems like it's going to be a tremendous success. Are those international endeavors a harder sell for some for some teams? I, I do a lot of reporting in college sports, and the Pac-12, for example, has done a lot of work kind of pushing international uh, expansion, particularly in Asia. And I know there are a lot of people that kind of pull strings in the Pac-12 who get frustrated because 
that's a lot of money that gets spent right now that maybe doesn't uh, doesn't realize revenue immediately. It might actually not even kind of hit the books until uh, until after these people have moved on. Uh, I'm curious if if you look at obviously investment in China, investment in Africa, overseas investment is money that maybe doesn't come back next year and doesn't come back in two years. It comes back in ten years or twenty years and thirty years. Is that often a hard sell for owners? Or do you think everybody's kind of aligned on? We need to invest this money now, even if we don't see it back for a long time. Well, first off, you know, God bless the commissioners. I mean, they have to keep 30 to 32 um, different managing partners, you know, somewhat aligned in terms of what their vision is. And I think that's very difficult. So, so no, I, I don't think everyone is aligned. I don't think anyone, it's very rare that everyone is aligned on any issue. Um, but 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 most uh, business people and business leaders understand that if you're standing still, you're moving backwards. And um, and, and and those of us that have had success in this business know that you know you can you can you know you sell all your seats you know and you can take prices up on on merch or you can take prices up on food and you know your sponsored business is going up, clipping up at seven, eight, ten percent. Um, you know you got your media deal, but that's you know every call it 10 years, um, get your arena deal every 20 years, but we're all looking for growth. Um, and, and there are opportunities um, to do that, but but that's the league's job. That's what they do. They, they set our course for the future. I mean, th- those the CEOs in this industry are looking to grow asset value. And and to do that, we have to look out of our little pockets. And, um, and I think the NBA in particular has done an extraordinary job setting those opportunities but is it easy for them i i would argue that if I, I don't you know i don't work there anymore but i i would imagine they would say no it's very difficult and and if they said do we have consensus all 30 teams in line like cheering and clapping hey let's go let's go to south america next probably not i mean I, like i said I, I don't know i can tell you like there was a pretty uh, highly contested debate on china um and of course i mean that's the great thing about these leagues i mean you're you're sitting around the table i've been in these these um um, Port of Governors meetings for 15 years. It's incredible. I mean, you literally have the leaders of industry in one room and they're very strong personalities and they're all extremely bright and extremely uh, confident. And they have a different view on, on how the world should be shaped. And the commissioners kind of facilitate debate and then eventually uh, make the call. So, so for me, I mean, it's been an incredible education watching that happen. But, uh, but for me, I mean, I, I love growth. Um, that's why I came here and worked for Josh and David, because it was just simply a basketball team practicing at a, at a medical college with one court. That's what I walked into, you know, with, with KPIs. I mean, every KPI was the bottom of the league. We were operating like we were a, a small, you know, a, a low rev team. And I was like, this is Philadelphia, you know? So, and so I, I think that, you know, I think most of us in this in this business look for a growth opportunity. I mean, that's what we do. Now, hope- yeah, Evan, imagine somebody having a, uh, a difference of opinion on China. I'm just wondering if anybody in the Sixers organization has any opinions on China. I, I, I'm not familiar if maybe anybody in the organization has any opinions on that subject. <laughs> like well, China, China has been, uh, you know, we played in China a few years ago. And, and we've certainly, you know, with hiring Daryl, have been been put in a, in an interesting situation. Um, but I will say like, we have such a Western view. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say I haven't been to China several times now. 
Um, I was with Mike Ma, who runs the league. I uh, runs. The, I'm sorry, um, NBA China. It's been a longtime friend, and uh, and he actually said that to me once. I said, "No, no." I said, I, "I'm just trying to see the world as it is." And and he said, "You know, don't have such a Western view." And I think what he meant was, it's like we want immediacy. We want what's right now, right? It's like that's the West. Like, give it to me right now. It's not 15 minutes of fame anymore. It's 15 seconds. Um, and we want our deal tomorrow. And what he's saying is, is play the long game. You know, be patient. Yeah. I think the um, platforms even represent that. You, you've gone from linear to, to TikTok, like literally yeah. 15 seconds of fame. Yes. You're right. And, but do the right things. Like we, you know, I've got, I, fortunately, we have an incredible group um, led by Sunshine Rogers um, that does amazing content, John. Amazing. Um, and they're doing deals. So, so for me, like I, I, we have a long view. And, um, and there's, there's always going to be a debate and, um, and the good news is in this league is, uh, you, you have the free will and a platform to say what you want to say. Speaking of long, Scotty, we've gone longer than we usually do on this podcast because like you and I, and and Eben, we, we could go another two hours. I mean, it's simple. This is the kind of stuff we discuss if we're sitting in, in a cafe or if we're at the, at the arena, these are the sorts of things that we bounce off each other. But Eben will tell you, by the way that weird things pop into my head. And most times media oh folks don't say them, but I, I do. And well, no, you just, the name of the book, be where your feet are. And I, I just want to make sure people understand because you're never supposed to end in a preposition that people understand that R is not a preposition. Just in case anybody was wondering and wanted to throw shade on the title of this book that don't, because R is not, I repeat, R is not a preposition. So there we have it again. Title of the book, Be Where Your Feet Are. Scotty, thank you for, uh, for the years of friendship and uh, uh, always being, uh, I guess, present when you and I uh, have our discussions. And now we'll we're rope Eben into that as well. Appreciate you both. Love the Sportacast. Uh, proud to be a, a guest. I hope your listeners take a shot and read the book. And if they don't, I hope they pick up their phones and text their moms and tell them how much they love them and appreciate them. And I hope they send a note or a phone call into somebody that works for them and, um, and checks in. Let's be better. We can do better. All right, Scotty. Thanks so much. You guys are amazing. Eben, always one of my favorite people to talk to. You know, I've known Scott a very long time. I mean, it's, it's always fun to see people, you know, in their natural habitat, you know, in the arena. Um, but he and I have had many discussions late at night after wins, after losses, when he worked at the league, when he worked at MSG, the exhausted after the board of governors meetings, but uh, always, always insightful. So, uh, I, and a, yeah, a very thoughtful guy as well. You know, which is which is refreshing, obviously, from a media standpoint, but also from a, from a friendship standpoint. It's just nice to have people that are constantly thinking kind of a level deeper than just the just the exact conversation that you're having. Yep. All right. So we echo buy the book. Yeah. Tell them. Go, yeah. Go buy, buy the, the book, book and text your moms. I'll do the same. Uh, I'll do it right now. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, yeah, we got to, you and your mom is a whole separate podcast, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we got to get Nita on the show one of these days. Someday. He is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Social media coordinator Cora Veltman likes us to tell you the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. Anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming offer a solution utilize cutting edge ai imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds 
Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.